Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue, wherein we try to go even nerdier than we normally do. Today, a sponsored show with our friends at VMware. Now, when I say containers, you probably don't think of VMware first, but they are right in the container mix, helping to address many of the issues deploying them, including networking and security. Joining us today is Sai Chaitanya, product manager in VMware's NSX business unit, to shed some light on how VMware is addressing container networking. So, Sai, welcome to the show, and I just want to open up with a really straightforward question, and one of the things that we know from emails we get from listeners is on a lot of people's minds. Are containers real? Are containers actually a thing that is going to to be a, a very big deal? Because a lot of folks are just used to VMs and are happy with them, and they look at containers and go, that's a problem solve that is uh, uh, solving problems someone else is having. So do, do I care about containers? Great question, Ethan. Containers, uh, it's still early days for containers for majority of enterprise customers, but containers are catching a lot of attention uh, in our customer base. There are a lot of technical and operational benefits that containers do bring to the table, and we fundamentally see a movement uh, in all of our customer base to explore and use containers to drive application modernization. Okay, so right, early days for containers. Containers are you know, up and coming, you know, as as you put it, and are driving uh, modernization. Which which is interesting, you put it that way, because uh, you know, one of the things I think we see as a result of that is uh, is some changes in how we do deployments, and then some puzzlement scratching our head as infrastructure people as we look at. Okay, this, the container is a wonderful form factor, makes it very easy to deploy applications, but how do I network the thing? How do I secure the thing? I mean, how do we deal with those those kinds of issues? I mean, I know you guys at VMware have some uh, examples, maybe maybe some specific things that customers are doing. Sure, Ethan. Today, most customers running containers do not really use uh, native container networking. What this really means is containers are running on some form of a container host, which could be a virtual machine or a bare metal server. Typically, there's a lot of Linux in our data centers. And these containers are really using the host networking stack or the networking stack of the container host, which means that anytime you want to talk to the container, you're essentially talking to the container host and you're natting traffic to get into the container. There is a lack of a native container networking model that, uh, that's kind of widely available and used today in our data centers. What is native container networking? It's the ability to assign a unique IP address to every container. It's the ability to provide routing services to the container network. And when you do that, you're essentially making the container no different from other endpoints in the data center. So you just have a single network fabric where you can connect containers, bare metal servers, virtual machines, and they talk to each other at layer three. This type of native container networking is missing in the industry today. And this is true for all platforms, whether it's Kubernetes and Cloud Foundry and other platforms. And that is the core of what we're doing with NSX. Our goal is to make, is to provide native container networking among many other things like security and uh, monitoring for these container-based deployments. So what you're saying there is that most enterprises, which is you know ultimately a core audience, when they're looking at containers, they're looking to put them, they're not that hot, they don't replace all of their IT. Most of their IT is VMs, and they're looking to say, well, my containers need to work with my VMs, or so they're putting them in their VMs? Absolutely, Greg. Uh, mm. the technology has kind of matured, the container technology has matured quite a, quite a lot in the last 24 months. When containers started off, everybody looked at containers as a means of virtual machine replacement, right? We basically said, okay, 
can we use these containers to run directly on a Linux server or a Windows server and potentially not just have a hypervisor mm. layer? That was right. the fundamental premise of containers. But over the last 24 months, what we kind of really see evolve is containers are really a means to do faster application deployment, are a means to provide consistency between like a developer environment and a production environment. And what we really see in our customer base, which is the traditional enterprise customer base in the Fortune 5000 and more, is mm. running containers in a virtual machine. So the virtual right. machine being the container host on on-prem and across public clouds is the de facto model that we're seeing. So, so when you say most people are using, you know, aren't considering container networking as a separate thing, that's because they're using the the networking in their hypervisor, the ESX hypervisor today. Most customers today deploying containers use some form of container orchestration. This could right. be Kubernetes, it could be Docker data center, it could be Cloud Foundry, right? So these platforms come with a, either a default implementation or some uh, project or open source project that you could use with the, with the uh, container orchestration tool. Now, these solutions really do not provide sufficient enterprise-grade networking and security uh, to make or enable this native container networking, which I just kind of introduced a second earlier. Mm. And that's mm. where NSX has a play to kind of have one single network fabric with all different types of endpoints. Right. So what you're saying is Kubernetes might have a networking stack. Pivotal Cloud Foundry might have its version of networking and as part of yeah. its orchestration tool. And you might have some Docker because, you know, you've hired a developer company and they choose to use Docker. And then over here, you've got your ESX and you've got, you know, hundreds of VMs running whatever it is that you're going to do. How do you start to bring all those together into a unified whole? That's the thrust of what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely, Greg. So last week, we were actually doing like a customer advisory meeting. And the question that I really asked people is, do you see more than one container orchestration platform in your environment? And obviously, this was like the very large enterprise customers that we were talking to. What we're starting to see is the choice of the container orchestrator is sometimes developer driven. So you can you yes. do have, have these line of businesses who make a decision as to what platform works best for them. And we are seeing a lot. some of these large enterprises have more than one container orchestrator. So having like a consistent way of doing networking across more than one platform on more than one compute platform, right? It could be vSphere and non-vSphere environments is the core to what NSX is trying to do. So I want to dig into this nat this idea of native container networking that you've brought up, which again, as you've defined it, it's every container in the environment has its own uniquely addressable uh, IP address. So you can get right to that container from wherever you're at. Is that, so first of all, that that is correct, right? I understood you properly. Absolutely, Abs absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So, so if you dig into container network and you look at the various um, kinds of paradigms that you can have in that, you know, one is one argument that you can make is, well, I don't need every container to have a unique layer three uh, uh, address because I may not need most of the world to talk to certain containers. A lot of them are ephemeral; they're there for state. They hide behind a load balancer, and you know, why do I need to have that container? Uh, have a unique uh, address if it's just going to be spun up for a little while, take a few transactions, and then get spun back down again. Uh, again, probably hiding behind a load balancer. What's the what's the driver that you see to you know that that native container networking is a is a thing you want to push? Sure, Ethan. There there are two points that I'd like to bring forward. So let's start with the first one. The first one is really kind of understanding what type of applications run in these containers. 
Now, a lot of the literature that we see from uh, vendors and products, right, is the fact that these containers are highly transient in nature. So they come up and die in a second and they're always constantly in the flux. This is a one potential use case for containers, okay? So if you kind of look at the type of applications an enterprise runs in containers versus the type of applications a web scale company like Spotify or Netflix runs in containers, they're very different. So the average lifetime of a container in, in an enterprise is much larger than the lifetime in, in, a, in a more web scale type of environment. Okay, What we've learned in this last 18 months is Customers are actually moving a lot of these legacy applications into containers just to leverage the container tooling for easy upgrade and scaling. So the fact of the, the lifetime of the application actually does not really change in that sense. So, so Okay, so in that context, you'd need to deal with the container like you would have a, uh, a VM in the past, something that you anticipate is going to need care and feeding because it's going to be long-lived. Absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. So that is what we've started to call the industry started to call lift and shift. So you have an application that's running on a traditional application server. This could be WebSphere or WebLogic, and you're moving it into a container platform, and the fundamental uh, nature of the application really doesn't sh doesn't change, right? At that point, you're really leveraging container tooling for easy upgrade and automated service delivery and stuff. That's pretty much it. So that's the first point. The second point is really around this native container networking that I mentioned. Actually, there are certain nuances there, right? So in addition to providing a unique IP address, what NSX does is it basically enables these containers to have like routed IP address, right? This could be either routed globally or within the data center and completely natted IP address. So the idea of running like an entire Kubernetes cluster behind like a NAT router and having these containers on natted networks still has value. So it's still a unique IP address but that's potentially natted. And what value it provides is really around ops and tooling. So a simple example for this could be you have like a web layer where you're exposing an application and you probably have this on your globally routed space or data center routed space. But all of the other tiers of the microservice or, or the entire application, business application, could be running on natted container networks. So they still have unique IP address and container routing for the network, but they're running on natted networks. So that's something we're doing as well. Does it make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and it, and it actually underscores a, kind of the model that I was thinking of anyway. It doesn't necessarily obviate the, you know, that NAT model. You still have a use case for that, um, but, yep. but you can still have that fall under what you're describing as native container networking. So sure, that, yes. makes, uh, that makes good sense. Okay, so then let's move on to specific um, networking and security challenges that we have when you're deploying this kind of a model. So most of us that are familiar with VMs and, you know, very comfortable with that sort of networking, what that looks like plumbing up to a virtual switch and assigning VLANs and so on. And then yeah, even folks that have used NSX would be familiar with uh, how the firewalling services work and the central policy management and so on. We certainly talked a lot about it on this show. When we switch from VMs to containers, what's different? What are the things that we need to be thinking about that we didn't have to think about before? Fundamentally, right, the levels of abstractions and the levels of automation are rising, Ethan. So you, a lot of us are familiar with infrastructure as service platforms like uh, OpenStack or we realize like VMware's own automation platforms. These platforms did provide 
successful implementations of automated service delivery of a vm based application what this really means is you have an application defined as a blueprint and this blueprint could be like a three tiered application with like a java web server some form of an application server a sql database and then when you go deploy this blueprint you're creating all of the infrastructure on the fly so what we did back then was we created the virtual machines on the fly we created all of the networking and security required for this three tiered application this is something we've done successfully we've already implemented it in a lot of our customers what's really changing now is the level of abstraction so now what we see in our customer base and uh, in a lot of these it's more developer driven is customers really do not even want to be in the business of defining these infrastructure level blueprints the mm. blueprints that they want to dip, uh, build is really an application blueprint that says you know what i want to run a three tier application here is my git repo for my front end here is my probably my docker image for my middle middle tier and here is yeah. my back end go run it so and the ci cd picks it up and runs it and does all the testing and there's a absolutely. whole bunch of scripts that go straight into deployment absolutely but if you're a developer you don't want to have to think about you know am i on this switch or in this server on this storage array or what luns or am i on fast luns or slow luns or you know that sort of stuff and yes, absolutely and, and to some extent it's even hidden away so tools like kubernetes and docker uh, docker data center and uh, mesosphere actually almost prevent you from knowing about placement or the infrastructure they aggressively take the hardware away from you and and or and indeed the 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 underlying hypervisors themselves absolutely greg actually when we started the discussion you asked what was really interesting about containers actually what's not what's really interesting is not the container technology by itself but what's interesting is the fact that these platforms like kubernetes and cloud foundry they provide a cloud abstraction so if i built an application and captured the application in a form of a kubernetes manifest or a cloud foundry template this application behaves the same whether you're running it on vsphere or on a public cloud so you're essentially abstracting away all of the infrastructure from a developer and your own the developer is only caring about the things that he would like to care about right which is basically saying i want certain availability for my application i want to run it with certain memory certain docker images or maybe code repos and just go do it and it looks the same no matter which infrastructure you actually deploy it on which compute infrastructure you deploy it on so that is really the value that we are seeing in the customer base and we all it's also kind of data driven so constantly we ask customers will you be running kubernetes on more than one compute platform the unanimous response across all of this customer base in the last 18 months is we will always have a more than one cloud for certain customers this could be vsphere and bare metal for most customers this could be vsphere and ec2 uh, for some customers it's increasingly becoming vsphere and uh, azure but using kubernetes or cloud foundry as an abstraction across more than one compute platform is what we see as the emerging enterprise architecture across the board huh. hybrid cloud hmm. is real yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well well it may not be real but you've got a plan for it right it's one of those things where at least in the enterprise you have to have a vision for how you're going to get to these things it might change and you know the hybrid cloud may actually fail but you still got to have a strategy and be able to you know stand up in those meetings with the executives and the managers and the devops the people and the developers and say well this is how we think it's going to go down and then be convinced that it's the right way or the wrong way and you don't want to be in a position where you're 
saying, oh, but we've got all this this stuff that we've got. You know, we, we need to use that. What you want to say is we can transition what we have and take it with us as we go. And that's... So a couple of points, uh, Greg, I'd like to kind of mention. So hybrid cloud, whether it is real or it fails, we don't know. We, mm. we don't know. But what we do know, right, and these are clear economic drivers is if you have an application where you have complete predictability in terms of its load, in terms of, uh, and it's a long-standing application, having that application run on premise is long time more cost cost effective is, is a premise that some of our customers believe, right? If you have an application that is extremely latency sensitive and you want to locate it close to data and you do have restrictions to not let the data go to a outside of your environments, having such an application running on Kubernetes on premise is, is, is what we are seeing as a viable thing. And it's been driven by technolo- technology reasons and business drivers, right, for cost reasons. But sure. if you're basically building an application like to say, do like a marketing campaign for summer for like a cola, or if you're trying to build an application, you want to build fast and fail fast, doing it on the public cloud is a no brainer, again, for economical reasons. So there are certain applications that run better on private cloud. There are certain applications that run very well on public cloud. Uh, public cloud as an infrastructure is phenomenal. There's no no question mm. about no question about it. No, I, d- but, I don't know about phenomenal. I'm not a big booster of the public cloud. I think a lot of people are just starting to discover the problems. It's uh-huh. just a question of which problems you're going to live with. That's what I think. You know, does that make sense? There are a number of technical reasons why I use the word phenomenal, uh, mm. Greg. It's completely API-driven infrastructure. It's something that mm. the developers and ops people increasingly want. Uh, it is relatively scalable and you get infrastructure uh, in a pay-as-you-go model. You get it, you can host your application closest to your user. So there are a number of reasons why public cloud is very interesting to our customer base, right? Mm. We see that day in and day out. But at the same time, for certain reasons, it's viable. It's It makes more cost sense uh, to run certain applications on your own uh, data center. Once you reach a critical mass, or if you have an application with predictability, we're just seeing that it makes sense to run it on, on your enterprise cloud. So what is NSX bringing to the container party then? Um, you know, we, we can build all of these um, public cloud, private cloud with a lot of different tools. If I'm using, say, Kubernetes as my orchestration platform for containers, which seems to be the way a lot of folks are going, I do have networking functionality in there. So then why do I need NSX? What does that add to the mix for me that uh, is enticing? The key thing, Ethan, is Kubernetes natively provides a lot of functionality in the core compute aspect. So at the end of the day, right, you want to think of all of these platforms as automated service delivery platforms. So if I have a microservice or an application, how can I deliver this? How can I enable automated service delivery? That is the core problem statement that everybody tries to solve. Kubernetes core function is basically in the area of uh, taking a Docker image, deploying it, uh, scaling it, building the uh, building it at massive scale, taking care of like uh, making sure this image is always running and doing stuff. Kubernetes basically does not natively provide some of the networking and security implementation. It basically allows for an ecosystem to do it. And there are multiple people doing that. Yeah, you're making the point that that's not what Kubernetes is at its core is is excellent at. It's excellent at several things, keeping that compute infrastructure up, scaled, and servicing requests uh, at all times. That that at its core is what what it's for. Uh, And yes, it has some networking, but that's not 
you know, again, what it's best at. So right. therefore the idea is uh, you folks and, and many other people out there, but, uh, but you folks are connecting to Kubernetes and adding additional network functionality that isn't there yeah. in the core platform. Yes, yes, absolutely. Then that's the key key point. And what is required to deploy deliver an entire application? Networking is just one function. It's very important, but it's one function to deploy from an infrastructure perspective to deliver automated service delivery. What's required is networking, load balancing, and security. So NSX vision is to basically implement that area of automated service delivery. There, there will be people doing storage, there will be people doing monitoring, and people doing, the, and Kubernetes does the core core of it. But our area is really con, configuring networking, load balancing, and security that are essential building blocks for automated service delivery. And we want to do this in a consistent fashion across more than one cloud. So that's, that's the real of, uh, co- meat of what we're trying to do. So when uh, Kubernetes goes to stand up a new container, does it mm-hmm. make a call to NSX and say, hey, I need something, uh, and then NSX provides it? How, how does the interaction between the two platforms work? Two points, right? We're building like a management plane integration and a data plane integration with Kubernetes. And the core of this is, to answer your question first, is yes, when Kubernetes schedules a part, it basically tells, hey, are you driving, are, you running, are we running this cluster with some form of a network backend, uh, SDN backend? If so, please take care of bringing this pod onto the network. So at that point, it's the responsibility of the SDN platform to do IP addressing for the container, to configure like a container networking, which might like connect it to a routed network or an added network, uh, configure the security for the pod, and configure the load balancing for the for the for the for that pod. So all of these functions need to be done by the SDM platform, and that's exactly what NSX does. Okay, now Photon's a part of this uh, conversation too, is it not? It is. It is a part of the conversation, Ethan. So what we're having in our customer base is uh, three major buckets, and it's pretty simple. It stays simpler than that. So we have customers wanting to run these cloud-native stacks, whether it's Kubernetes, Mesos, Cloud Foundry, natively on vSphere. So this is basically a section of our customer base who has not in adopted an infrastructure as a service platform. So these customers have not yet done VIO or VRA or Photon, done vSphere, massive footprints, are in some sense kind of missing the step of infrastructure as a service and trying to go directly to container platforms or platform as a service. We actually have a lot of customers in this category. So NSX is obviously kind of enabling this use case which is container management or PaaS on vSphere. The second category is really uh, container management or PaaS on top of an existing infrastructure as a service platform. So we obviously have a lot of customers who have the VRA stack, VDLIS automation, and our OpenStack. It could be anybody, uh, any OpenStack implementation, like VIO being like the most popular one, and people wanting to run some, some form of deployment uh, on this. A typical popular example that we typically bring always to the forefront is uh, we have Amadeus, who's like a public reference for VMware. It runs basically half of the world's ticketing system. So Amadeus has been running OpenShift on top of VIO and NSX for more than probably 24 months now. Mm. Right. Mm. So that's 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 the second category where you basically have container management and pass running on top of an infrastructure as a service platform. The third category is uh, our net new cloud native stack, which is Photon Platform, 
which offers uh, the CAS API natively. So essentially, it's a model where you can go into Fordon platform and say, hey, go and give me a Kubernetes cluster of version 1.6 with five worker nodes, and then maybe upgrade it and scale it. So Fordon platform is one approach to running uh, containers on, on the VMware stack. You made that last bit sound so easy. You know, give me you know, a, a pod <laughs> with just many containers and just you know, boom. You know, but but we are getting to a point where with that that is sort of reality. Um, you know, yeah. you you have to you can know less and less under the hood because the management platforms are abstracting a lot of that complexity away from you and uh, and or developers just get at what they need with API calls. So it does seem like these things are getting easier and more predictable. I think that's that's so a lot of people like when you started the call you said hey what is VMware doing with containers that's actually very very true when I look at this outside in when a lot of people look at containers they don't think of VMware as the first place to start off which is fair but when you actually look at operationalizing containers I think VMware stands in the best position to operationalize containers in the enterprise and the reason for this is the following Ethan developers would like to have the experience that we just spoke about give me a Cloud Foundry cluster, give me a Kubernetes cluster. Tomorrow it could be something new, right? Where we, where we might like kind of bypass a lot of this and go to serverless and say, hey, here's my code. Can you please run it on your serverless platform? So developers are asking for these type of functionality. And we need to basically enable developers, both as infrastructure vendors and like within the enterprise, the, uh, the enterprise IT folks need to enable this type of infrastructure. But the question is, how do we do this? with manageability and with security is really the question. The question, and that's that's where we really, really see that VMware has a very strong position. We can have a world where we enable developers to go fast, but we also have enterprise-grade controls on a security, isolation between these Kubernetes clusters, isolation between microservices in a cluster, configuration on monitoring for these microservices. That is what we really want to do let the developers run, and also enable operators. There's a couple of really important things here that are standing out to me. One is you're really talking about you know, tooling that uh, enables you to uh, keep up with that infrastructure. In, in other words, it's one thing to... So, okay, so let me take a step back. So I was at the OpenStack Summit in Boston um, a couple of weeks ago at the time that we're recording this, and one of the keynotes, they talked in detail about we need to make... OpenStack easier to consume. We need it to be something that is more uh, reliable uh, for the average enterprise to consume because it's a difficult thing you know, at this point. And, and and so so if I compare what VMware is as a longstanding enterprise IT company that's got a, a vast suite of you know, tools and so on, you've got that operational tooling that's there, and you can take that experience, if you will. Uh, of how to make tooling that allows you to operate an infrastructure and then extend that knowledge to containers. I think that am I, that's really the argument you're making there. Uh, yes? Absolutely. Absolutely, Ethan. And okay. to give you like a concrete examples of what that really means for networking, because we are in a networking show. So most of these container networks or container network implementations come with like a bare bone implementation, right? So today, traditionally in the data center, if you had a network switch and you had multiple ports, you always had a lot of tooling around that at that port. You could shut the port. You could see statistics on the port. You could export IP fix out of the port. You had a huge amount of tooling around that port. And as we did virtualization and uh, these virtual networks with NSX, we basically kept the same operational model, right? So your 
virtual layer 3 router was no different than your physical router your virtual logical switch uh, is not very different from your vlan so we essentially built all of the tooling that a traditional network had and actually did a little more i i would think uh, to really enable simplified operations none of this stuff exists for a container network or a container interface there is no statistics there is no visibility there is no control so that is the when i said native container network it actually includes a bunch of stuff under mm. the hood includes basically the ability to do counters per pod or uh, the kubernetes pod or uh, pcf app instance it includes the ability to shut it shut it down it includes the ability to do trace flow between two ports and say or two apps and say what is the infrastructure network infrastructure path and what is the health where is the packet being dropped so there's a huge amount of tooling that is required to do application platforms like kubernetes or even like a cloud foundry at scale at enterprise scale where you have this deployed at at massive scale and that's where nsx really focuses on so it's really around monitoring tooling and this monitoring tooling also you need to think about it at two different levels you need to think of the monitoring tooling at the network with the network view which is basically the ability to have per container tooling and per container network tooling that you had like like what you always had in the world, like in the da- traditional data center networking you also need to think about this from a microservice perspective Cus- customers really would like to have visibility into the microservices running in the environment they would like to know the health of the microservice the number of instances running the type of connections that are coming in over time the type of connections that are failing the ssl handshakes that are failing so there's a massive amount of monitoring and tooling that needs to be built on at the microservice granularity as well none of this stuff actually is there in a meaningful form for a lot of our enterprise customers today okay man you got my brain spinning about 10 different directions now okay so you <laughs> you were talking about the tooling being able to like pull ip fix data being able to see packet flows going in between containers and so on which says a lot about where nsx is a packet processing engine is injected into the system and I think also answers the question like you were talking a little bit earlier about security and another point that I wanted to zoom in on mm-hmm. um you, you it so it sounds like when a container is stood up um you now have the ability as NSX to deal with all the packet forwarding flowing into and out of that container so are you glomming on to the Linux bridge or are you doing, you know, how is it you're hooking in as NSX to be able to see those packet flows? Because I think understanding that is, is really interesting um, because yeah. I, I believe and you're going to fill in some blanks here for me. It's going to answer the question of how you see all of those packets and then probably also enforce security policy. Got it, got it. Uh, so the, the, the key, uh, Open vSwitch is a very, very uh, strategic investment for VMware and for like the uh, NSX team, right? It's an open source project. We contribute a lot to it, but there are a lot of people outside of VMware who are actually making very, very meaningful contributions to Open vSwitch. So what we've been using is really a Open vSwitch as the vSwitch on the container host. And uh, this container host could be running on vSphere, potentially in future in the public cloud. But when these pods get created, these containers or Kubernetes pods get created on a container host, we are essentially hooking them up to Open vSwitch. And then Open vSwitch essentially is kind of providing the first hub networking device. And uh, we basically, that's where we start implementing some of the functionality. Today, uh, we probably will still implement a lot of the routing and security functionality in the hypervisor vSwitch, wherever we have an op- option to do so. 
because we fundamentally believe that the hypervisor we switch is a more secure domain than the guest we switch but we will essentially also have the ability to do all of the enforcement in the guest we switch or the container host we switch does it make sense ethan yeah you got a few different options there it's interesting but but and i'm not surprised about the open v switch uh, connection uh -huh. there you know we, we're uh -huh. very aware of the uh, the support and and so on that uh, vmware brings to that uh, project so that that makes a lot of sense um yeah uh, okay. Another question that popped in my head, multi-hypervisor support. I mean, uh, VMware, people think of, you know, ESXi and, you know, vSphere first, but NSX is still a multi-hypervisor platform, is it not? It is, it is, it is, Ethan. I think the, it's more than like what we do, Ethan. I think what customers really are asking for is, is kind of really, really kind of key, right? As I said, we started this project about 18 months ago. We spend time talking to like all of these different verticals like banking, insurance, financial services, manufacturing. What we really realized was the fact that these container clusters, as I said earlier, right, the containerization as a technology is interesting, but not good enough. What's really interesting is the container orchestration layer, which basically does automated service delivery. And the key thing that we saw, the take home that we had even before we started this project was customers will have a multi-compute platform. It is going to be vSphere and KVM. For a lot of people, it's they're looking, exploring vSphere and bare metal. But as I said earlier, right, we see the strength for doing this on vSphere and a public cloud. So it was a, a requirement to be able to provide these type of containerization services uh, on any container platform. It could be Kubernetes or Cloud Foundry. And again, on more than just vSphere. So that was something that was very, very clear when we started the project. So what we actually did is we said, we got to build a solution that works as obviously for, for vSphere because that's where our majority is, but we also have to go into these other compute environments. And that's when we made this call to basically build this on NSXT. So you might have kind of seen this announcement coming from us earlier in the year where we introduced NSXT uh, 1.1. And this is really going to be our platform that enables us to provide networking and security services for applications running not just on vSphere, uh, but also for like a KVM and a public cloud in, in the future. Well, and public cloud as well. Okay, so that that's something I, I wanted to reinforce there. So this NSXT is my solution when I have you know, vSphere in the data center and uh, EC2, uh, AWS, I'm consuming in the public cloud. NSX handles all of that for me with the one unified interface, et cetera. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely right. So, so then, do, I mean, are there any functionality changes? So, I mean, do I get the yeah. same level of security, et cetera, that I get in yeah. the data center versus workloads outside the data center? So today, a lot of customers run, there's a lot of Cloud Foundry out there, Ethan. Foundry is, Cloud Foundry has been there for more than six years, right? There is a lot of uh, growth of uh, Cloud Foundry and uh, more specifically Pivotal Cloud Foundry uh, in the enterprise space out there in banking, insurance, and a bunch of vectors. Most of these clusters actually run on top of vSphere. And we actually have a lot of these customers running uh, stacks like Pivotal Cloud Foundry on top of vSphere and NSXV today. So it is a a very, very uh, successful implementation or platform, I would think. The piece that, that what doesn't, these customers are not being able to avail today is really this per container features. So NSXV today offers a virtual machine, like automation, security, and load balancing at the virtual machine level. 
and these are still very 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 applicable to running some of these container clusters like cloud foundry or kubernetes but what it doesn't do is provide per container functionality like the kubernetes example that we just spoke about and that to do and that is what nsxt will do uh, and it will do it in a consistent fashion across vsphere and public cloud there will not be a difference in functionality oh okay so so the long way to say i there's not a you know, a compromise or, you know, things I need to be aware of. Oh, I'm running this in AWS, so I lose X functionality. Everything's the same. We have feature parity no matter where the workload is running. Absolutely, Ethan. Because, so, so think about it, right? Kubernetes is providing a consistent abstraction across multiple clouds. When we go in there to kind of do this automated service delivery for network security and load balancing, we need to do this consistently across more than one cloud. So doing this only on vSphere and not doing this on, on AWS or EC2 instances to be specific is not really kind of helping the customer. You're just doing a part of the problem. We need, it we just need makes it harder. It just makes it unpredictable. You spend your life, you know, sitting on a website trying to work out what features work in what circumstance and how do you adapt your policies and blah, blah, blah. And you just end up in a hating your vendor at that point. <laughs> I mean, well, yes, but no, Greg. Yeah. Here is my thought process, and you can tell yeah. me if that doesn't make sense. When you're running a Kubernetes cluster or a Cloud Foundry yeah. cluster on, like, say, EC2, you are essentially normalizing on the feature set provided by that PaaS platform or container management platform. You're yeah. not going in and kind of using the underlying IS primitives. So they become less important. Where we are seeing they're really important is in the data services. So customers would love to normalize on the container stack or the pass stack for the core set of functionality and not necessarily use like directly Lambda or uh, Azure functions or like IaaS specific uh, I see what you're saying. So you don't, if you're going to build a, a solution that's partly on Google Cloud and partly on AWS and partly on Azure or, you know, or some mix thereof, you don't want to be saying, I'm going to allocate an IP address to a container and then have to adapt that for each of those public clouds for each of those platforms. What you want is the ability to say container IP address and something else just says, yeah, sure, one API call, one configuration, yes. one way of monitoring, one way of metadataing, one way of administering the different clouds. So in a sense, like that becomes a hybrid cloud or a step towards a hybrid cloud solution. Absolutely, Greg, absolutely. What we are seeing increasingly is smaller set of teams are required to manage bigger and bigger infrastructure. Actually, I was looking at a video of Michael Dell and somebody asked him, what was the most interesting thing that you've seen in the last year? He basically made this comment where he said, I'm starting to see smaller and smaller teams manage larger and larger infrastructure. So, and we see that on the ground every day, right? So we're involved yeah. in a lot of these implementations and we start to see like a teams of three or four people manage like uh, 10,000 containers, 6,000 VMs, like bigger and bigger infrastructure. So the value at that point really is to provide a, a, this consistent view of this Kubernetes cluster or Cloud right. Foundry cluster, yep. whether it's yep. running or vSphere on, on AWS. And that's what we so, want. So NSXT and there's NSXV, which is the, the vSwitch that goes into the ESX hypervisor. Mm -hmm. They are um, going to be basically the same. They've just got different platforms that you use them on. The, I think you said earlier they're going to be feature parity. Yes, absolutely. So, so NSXT basically, when we, we, we the version that's out there is NSXT 1.1. We're working on a release to do something in Q3, which we would call NSXT 
and essentially it's for building these two use cases to support mm-hmm. kubernetes clusters on vsphere and kvm and to provide networking for ec2 instances what does the t stand for it's got to have a meaning uh t t internally used to stand for transformers and okay. for, uh, for <laughs> legal reasons we had to kind of a short name it <laughs> yeah i so it's just one of those apocryphal sort of stories and you think <laughs> v makes sense virtualization or hypervisor or something like that i can i can go with that but i'm trying to think okay t just is t it has no particular nomenclature yeah. or you know deeper meaning it's literally just the internal project it, so, it yeah. means tremendous yep. craig that's what it stands for tremendous <clears throat> transformational yep. Sai, talk to me about container networking interface, uh, CNI, that uh, abstraction layer that seems interesting to to maybe hook into. Is that getting a lot of traction where people are interested in that? Yes, Ethan. So uh, CNI is getting a lot of traction from multiple angles. So the first and foremost thing is all of the container management platforms with with the exception of Docker data center have adopted CNI. So that includes Kubernetes, Mesos, Cloud Foundry. Uh, if you kind of think of uh, cattle, they're probably doing something there as well, the rancher guys. So CNI has become now the de facto standard for an SDN platform to interface with a container management platform. And as I said earlier, the only exception to this is the lib network implementation used by the Docker data center guys. So there's some kind of consolidation there. And from a, uh, what you're starting to see now is not just NSX, a lot of the networking uh, implementations out there are also implementing the CNI interface to provide some of these things that we just spoke about. Uh, so CNI is kind of, kind of gaining a lot of steam, both from the container orchestration, from the SDN side, and from the customer side, they are really struggling with the lack of monitoring tooling and security tooling around these microservices. And CNI is really the answer to all of the following. CNI gives the ability to do per container controls of networking, load balancing, and security. So it will it, it's gaining a lot of steam. It's ultimately it's the um, independent control. So yes. if you have container networks flying around and DevOps doing this and this, it's exactly the same as what we do today in networking, where networking is asked to provide the independent enforcement of security policy. Right. And in that sense, once it gets into the cloud, who's going to control the developers from being foolish? Well, it's never never happened in the last 30 years. And if you want to try and build some sort of, you know, consistent instructor, like it's all fine for startups who build one app and they have 20 people making just one app go, right? Yep. But yep. if you're an enterprise and you've got 30 apps and you've got 30 developer teams producing microservices, you've just got a structural complexity issue in here, you know, like because those 30 different apps are almost certainly going to want to start talking to each other. And how do you start to implement, you know, data controls and communication controls and make sure that segmentation between those apps is actually in play? And there's this massive scaling problem that around containers that most people haven't hit because they're still, you know, footsing around with small startups or yep. or they only run one app. Like, you know, you look at Instagram, right? Yep. Absolutely, a microservice is running at scale, but it's one app with yes, yes. 20 or 30 developers. It's not, yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all of the things that you mentioned, Greg. So CLI is really, really the means to not break the operational model of a container platform 
right where we where the network is completely abstracted away right network is not even a top level object in in cloud foundry or kubernetes right the developer just deploys an app he gets networking so we are not breaking the model of the container platform however we are all at the same time we are giving controls and keys to the network ops teams and the security ops teams to know what's happening and to kind of control what's like being deployed so that's really what cni enables right to let both of these guys kind of move ahead in a meaningful fashion so i want to go back to security for a minute here now we've talked to a number of startups and uh, that are in this space in other words securing containers it's it is a definitely a hot topic now with NSX, you know, what I know of the security model and the firewall enforcement is you've got a central policy. You use metadata to enforce policy between the uh, different uh, endpoints that are needing to talk to one another. So you're not writing this super, well, it might be detailed, but you're not writing this line by line, you know, five tuple rule kind of policy. You're writing a metadata based policy that allows you to use wildcarding and grouping and make a, a much more readable and manageable policy. Now. Again, containers are different the way they hook into the infrastructure. So is this, is it really the same kind of a security model with NSX where I can write a, this metadata-based policy and control traffic flows between containers or is there is there more to it than that? From a security perspective, Ethan, the customer by customer, the usage and the use case varies. But broadly, if we were to classify it, there are really two models. There's a model where you capture along the security policy of the application uh, as part of the application blueprint. So if you kind of define an application in a, in a Kubernetes uh, spec or a Cloud Foundry YAML, you also capture the application security uh, as part of the microservice. In other words, the, these are the ports I'm going to need to communicate on absolutely. and you know, absolutely. so on, right? Absolutely. Okay. absolutely. So in some sense, to me, like this is like an application-level security that is driven top-down from the platform. So Kubernetes has Kubernetes network policy, Cloud Foundry is working on their own policy language, and we see a lot of interest for this, right? I mean, it, it, it puts a, it, it makes the, puts the developer in a position of having to understand quite thoroughly how their app actually works, which sounds like it should be trivial, but I think it's uh, maybe more challenging in some environments no, it, than not. It is, it is non-trivial, actually. Most application environments actually do not know what policy to configure. So mm -hmm, VMware has mm -hmm. experience of kind of building like this great engine, like it's a it's a Ferrari, which can do the distributed firewall, but most environments, people did not know what to configure on this. So we had to go do an acquisition of a company called Arkin, which told us, mm -hmm. which told customers, what is the policy that would, might be relevant for an environment? So discovery of policy is hard, uh, but uh, the, and it is, it's a solved problem that is not completely solved yet, but there is interest in, in kind of medium term having all of the application policy also be captured as part of the application artifact. And NSX will obviously support translating this application policy into firewall rules on the infrastructure. This works for a class of customers. We also have a different class of customers that would want to create all of the policy on the SDN platform, right? In this case, it's NSX. And this is essentially the repository for policy that is Cloud Foundry policy, Kubernetes policy, policy for Mode 2 applications running in virtual machines. We have we, we are enabling that as well. So two different approaches to configuring policy for a containerized or microservices application. And we will do both on from day one. Okay. The key thing is basically being able to fit into the life cycle of the container platform. That is very important. And we that's what we're also building. 
Yeah, because you have to be able to stand up the security policy at the moment that the workload is instantiated, which in the context of our conversation here, uh, a lot of your customers are um, kind of you know that newer model where it's these are long lived containers and so on. So that that's one problem. But then the other problem is you know the, the that more ephemeral and transient. You know the, the, the yes, quick standing yes. up and you know as that whatever that life cycle is, either model you need to be able to match security policy deployment to it. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so so where are we at with this product? I mean, is everything we've been talking about here available today within NSX, or is this roadmapped, or where are we at? The NSX and the Kubernetes integration is in beta today. We've actually had uh, some of the largest retailers, uh, manufacturing companies do POCs of this, and it has worked out really, really well. Uh, it's in beta today, the NSX and Kubernetes integration, and we plan to intend to uh, GA this uh, in Q3, the NSX and Kubernetes integration, and we are also working on the NSX and Cloud Foundry integration for the back end of the year. Okay, so Q3 and Q4 of 2017, just in case someone's picking this up yep. really uh, really late yep. in the day. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. Very good. Okay, so in beta, and this is all coming along. And then, uh, Sai, then a question for you. Are you social? Do you tweet or blog or anywhere that people could follow you? People can follow me on uh, Sai underscore Chaitanya. Don't tweet a lot, but I do. I'll respond to anything that I. I don't tweet a lot, but I do respond to anything that's being asked. Yeah, I'm starting to follow that model where uh, maybe I might won't be tweeting a lot myself, but I, I will respond as I check in from time to time to see if anybody's tweeted anything. Oh me. no, you won't. You're going to be a <laughs> shut in and just ignore everybody. Everybody says they tweet, but nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> and so if uh, if, if someone wants to find out more about vmware nsx uh, where, where should they go just vmware and search around is there a specific landing page yeah. the network virtualization blog page is a phenomenal place to go for to find a lot about vmware container networking lightboards on youtube are, is an also a great place to go Great. Thank you very much. And thank you to VMware today for sponsoring the show. This has been the Packet Pushers Priority Q channel. You can find this and many more of our fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. Hey, we are on Twitter at Packet Pushers and we're also up on LinkedIn. We've got a company page you can follow. You can like us on Facebook. And if you would, we'd really appreciate it if you would rate us on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough. <laughs>